Angie and I were at a restaurant on the other side of town. Some of our kids were with us. I don't remember who all was there. We were at a place called Moonfish. I don't know if you've ever eaten at Moonfish, but um, they have this uh, cream, orange creamsicle cake that one piece of it is about the size of this little speaker thing right here. I mean, it is gargantuan. I've never ordered it. I've watched people order it. They carry them out in a wheelbarrow when they're done. I mean, it is unreal. But we're sitting there at Moonfish, finished the meal, kind of chatting, and Angie said, I'm going to go to the restroom before we drive back. And so she went, and I, I sat there a minute, and I thought, you know, I probably should do that too. And so I went to the restroom, and I came back, and Angie was already at the table with the kids and whoever was there, and they were talking, and there was this awkward tension. And I walked up to the table, and she said, I, I was at the restroom, and somebody came into the stall next to me, and their feet were facing the wrong way, and they had on flip-flops, and she looks at my feet. And she said, I thought, that poor lady has such ugly feet. And they were facing the, and she said, you, you went in the women's restroom. It was your feet. And I'm like, no, I did not. No, I did not go in the women's restroom. And I got up, and I walked to the little hallway that shoots back to the restrooms there at Moonfish. And the way that the light was hitting, there was a shadow on the woe, and you just saw men and I went in the women's restroom. I was terrified. I got there. We, we got out of there. Like, did somebody see that? Did they, I mean, today you may do that on purpose. People may think I went in there on purpose. So I was like, I got to get out of here. So we left the restaurant. But I, I took a very dangerous path that night. I had no idea I was on. It, isn't it true that often in life we don't recognize the path we're on? We just kind of know we're on a path. Your life is on a path, and so is mine. Your marriage is on a path, so is mine. If you're dating, that relationship's on a path. Your friendships, they're on a path. Your finances are on a path. So are mine. Your, your family's on a path. Your parenting is on a path. We live life on paths. And the tragedy is often we're going down the paths we're going by accident. Sometimes we're not very intentional about the paths that we choose. We, we just sort of live life accidentally. We fall into certain patterns and certain paths. We're headed in a certain direction. And, and we tend to move in masses. We just kind of go where everybody else is going. And we don't think about where the path leads. Because you never get to the right place following the wrong directions. So this morning I want to ask you a question. We're wrapping up this series, What If?, We've been asking some what-if questions, looking at different people in Scripture that had to navigate some things that I think God is showing us how it applies to our lives today as well. And I want to ask you this question, and I want to ask you to have the courage to answer it honestly. Did you know that questions can be one of your best friends? If you and I are willing to honestly ask and answer, a lot of people see no momentum in their life in a positive way. They see no improvement in relationships. They see no personal growth because they seem to be just unwilling to ask difficult questions of themselves. So I want to ask you a question this morning, and I want to ask you to have the courage to answer it, not, not to me, but to yourself. Here's the question. What if there really is a path that will lead to a better way? What if there really is a path that will lead to a better way? All the way back in the book of Numbers, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, fourth book in the Bible, all the way back in the Old Testament, there's the story of a guy named Balaam. I don't know if you've ever heard of Balaam, but Balaam was a, a seer. He had this unique supernatural gift to be able to look into the future 
and tell what was going to happen. And so a lot of the wealthy people in society, a lot of people of political power would come to him and ask his advice. He also had a unique ability to be able to curse people. And so there was a king, his name was Balak. It's not Star Trek, it's Bible, but his name was Balak. And he needed to know what the future held, and he wanted, he wanted to hire Balaam to curse Moses and the children of Israel because they were moving into the promised land, and so King Balak was the king of the Moabites, and he wanted to hire Balaam to curse Moses and the people of God so they wouldn't take over. And so he sends a delegation to Balaam, and the delegation says, hey, the king is willing to pay you. He just wants you to come talk to him. He wants you to, he wants you to curse Moses and the people of God. And so even though Balaam was not a person of faith in the one true God, he said, hey, guys, y'all hang out here tonight, spend the night. I'm going to talk to God, and I'll give you my answer in the morning. And he talks to God, and of course God says, no, you're not going to curse Moses. You're not going to curse the children of Israel. In fact, don't even go back with them. So the next morning, Balaam wakes up, and he says, I'm sorry, I can't, I can't even go with you. doesn't matter how much money you offer me. doesn't matter what you promise me. I can't go with you. They go back and tell King Balak, and he says, not good enough. So he gets a delegation of more important people, sends more wealth, a, a bigger crowd to go back to Balaam the second time. And they come back and they say, hey, the king really wants to talk to you. He's going to offer more. He's going to do more. Just come have a conversation. The king's willing to pay. Balaam says, maybe, maybe God's changed his mind. Why don't you all hang out for another night? You all spend the night this time just like the other people and I'll talk to God about it. We drop into the story in Numbers chapter 22, verse 20. The Bible says, that night, that night God came to Balaam and said, since these men have come to summon you, go with them, but do only what I tell you. Go with them, but do only what I tell you. How many things did God say to Balaam? Two things. Go with him, but do only what I tell you. But isn't it interesting, sometimes we only pay attention to part of what God says. I mean, the Bible's full of things that God says to us, and, and, and aren't we really, really good at choosing the things to live by that we kind of like and seem to be somewhat convenient? And don't we have this amazing way of kind of ignoring the stuff that doesn't apply? I grew up in church where everybody would talk about, I grew up Baptist, I'm still in therapy getting over it, but I, I grew up Baptist where all they would do is talk about how people should never drink alcohol. What? First of all, you don't find that in here. I think the first miracle, I'm pretty sure, was water to wine. You, you don't find that in there. But, but they would talk about how nobody should ever drink. Now, I understand they were talking about Ephesians 5 that says don't be drunk. But often the people saying it weighed about 400 pounds and didn't talk about anything at all having to do with gluttony. Isn't it interesting? We sort of pick and choose in Scripture what's convenient and easy for us, and we pick the things people should do and change that apply to everybody else. Go with them, but do only what I tell you. And maybe you're thinking this morning, man, I, I wish like Balaam, God would speak directly to me. I mean, wouldn't it be nice if you had a decision to make and you're like, look, family, y'all just sleep on it. I'm going to talk to God tonight and God would just answer you. Wouldn't that be amazing if God would speak to us, if, if God would be clear with us? You know, the Bible in the book of Psalms says, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. You know, God does speak clearly, and he doesn't speak directly to every single issue we will ever face in life, but he does speak directly to the principle behind every single issue we will ever face in life. God is speaking clearly all the time. It's just whether or not we're listening, paying attention, and absorbing what he's trying to communicate. 
Balaam got up in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the Moabite officials. Verse 22, but God was very angry when he went. Why? Didn't God say, okay, go with him and only do what I say? And now God's angry that he's going? Why? Because God is able to often and always see through our actions to our motivation. See, often we behave one way on the outside and we have a different agenda on the inside. Have you ever met anybody with an agenda? Have you ever known people that try to manipulate you with how they behave and they have a different agenda on the inside? Or or parents, have you ever told your kids to do something and they obey on the outside, but on the inside they're defiant? Nobody that goes to C3 has kids like that, but people that don't go to C3, maybe, maybe. They might should bring their kids to C3. But but we, we know what it is to act one way on the outside and have a different agenda on the inside. But God was very angry. Why? Because Balaam chased money. He used the ability to see into the future, the ability to curse, to to sell that to the highest bidder. And so while he's going through the motions of, okay, God said I could go. God told me I could go. I'm going to go. God said I could go. He plans on telling the king whatever he wants to hear so he can get the money. But God was very angry. He went. And the angel of the Lord, now that phrase is important. When you hear angel of the Lord, what do you think? This isn't fat baby floating on a cloud playing a harp. That's not what he's talking about right here. Angel of the Lord is the mightiest warrior, picture a general, the mightiest warrior. In fact, sometimes that phrase is actually used for Jesus himself. So, but God was very angry when he went, and the angel of the Lord stood in the road to oppose him. Balaam was riding on his donkey, and his two servants were with him. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand, it turned off the road into a field, and Balaam beat it to get it back on the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path through the vineyards with walls on both sides, and when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it pressed close to the wall, crushing Balaam's foot against it, so he beat the donkey again. It's fascinating to me that a guy who supernaturally is able to see in the future, in this moment, isn't able to see what an animal sees. Sometimes we can rely on the abilities we think we have, and the more you rely on your abilities, the less you rely on God and the less you see in the future. So, and and notice he beats, man, I'd hate to be that donkey. I mean, there's a guy with a sword, I'm going another way, and you get beat for it. There's a guy with a sword, oh, you want me to go through, and he gets beat again. Notice there's this pattern in Balaam's life. The donkey is trying to protect him, but he continues to beat the donkey because we become our habits. One of the things I've noticed as a pastor, I get a front row seat to people's lives, and the main front row seat I have to someone's life is my own. One of the things I've noticed is that when we're on a path that we just want to be on no matter what, The people that love us and try to speak into our lives and try to say, hey, hey, that's the wrong attitude. That's the wrong path. That's the wrong direction. Sometimes we beat them. Sometimes we ignore them. Sometimes we get angry at people that are trying to help us. I'm not talking about some obnoxious religious person that's decided they need to speak into your life. I'm not talking about that. Ignore those wackadoodles. I'm talking about the people that you love that are connected with you and invited to be in your life by you. And you have the kind of relationship where you can speak into each other's life. And, and you can say, hey, man, that, man, the, the, the way you're thinking right there, I just I don't think it honors God. You, man, I, I'd encourage you to process that. It doesn't, just, it doesn't seem like you. I mean, you're, you're better than that. Those kind of people... 
Isn't it interesting when we're so determined to be on a particular path, even if it's one that's going to be lead us to destruction, the people that try to rescue us from it become our enemies in our minds. So who are you beating that's trying to help you? Verse 26. Then the angel of the Lord moved ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no room to turn either to the right or to the left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it laid down. Can't get around, can't run off the road. It just laid down under Balaam. And he was angry and beat it with his staff. <laughs> he just keeps beating this donkey. And first he's beating it maybe with his hand, maybe with a whip. Now he's picking up sticks. He beat it with his staff. Verse 28. Then the Lord opened the donkey's mouth and it said to Balaam, Shrek moment in Scripture. What have I done to you to make you beat me these three times? Now, you might be sitting there thinking, uh, I just, I, I, that's, that's the reason I struggle with believing the Bible. I mean, a donkey, a donkey, the way the mouth is formed and the way the tongue is formed, it can't really get words out. There's no way I could believe a donkey would ever speak. The Bible teaches that God spoke the world into existence, and I don't understand that. The Bible teaches that God sent his son Jesus to earth, and he lived a perfect life, facing every temptation you and I would ever face. He lived a perfect life, and then he died for your sins and for my sins. He was stabbed in the side, crucified on a cross, and three days later, he got up and ate fish tacos, and I don't understand that. I don't understand how this happened, but, but, but listen. Don't get so caught up in what the donkey did that you miss what God did. It's not about the donkey. It's about a God who can do anything. And I'm very, very grateful that my God is so big, there are things about him I don't understand. My God is so big, there are things about him I can't figure out. How small would God have to be for all of us to understand him? Well, I just don't think a donkey, or maybe you grew up King James Version. I don't think an ass can speak to people. You listen to me every week. (laughs) Verse 29. Balaam answered the donkey. That's crazy. Like, like if if your donkey starts talking to you, I mean, it just flows. The donkey said this, and Balaam answered the donkey. We have three dogs in our home, really two dogs and a rat because one's a chihuahua. But we have an Italian mastiff, Valkyrie. She'll bite your head off. We have an English Mastiff. He's still a puppy. He'll be a little over 200 pounds when he's full-grown diesel. And I was at the vet this week. They were getting their shots, and we let them stay overnight. We were doing some things around the house, and so they stayed. And when I went to pick them up, there were people in the lobby, and I I got Valkyrie and Diesel. And and it's kind of a personal challenge to take them both out at the same time on their leashes because they're huge. And people in the lobby are like, oh, my gosh, they're bigger. Oh, my gosh. I get them out, and then I walk back in, and they bring me the chihuahua, and everybody in the lobby started laughing at me. But if I'm at home, and I'm correcting Valkyrie or Diesel, if they start talking to me, I'm wondering what somebody put in my drink. It's time for me to go to the home. Like, there's a problem if my dogs start talking to me. And in this place, I mean, God is so funny sometimes. The donkey starts talking, and Balaam answered. Balaam answered the donkey. You have made a fool of me. You're talking to an animal. You're pretty much doing that yourself. You've made a fool of me. If only I had a sword in my hand, I would kill you right now. And he doesn't even see there is a sword right nearby, but it's pointed at him. Because sometimes in our anger, we miss the obvious. And sometimes in our arrogance, we miss what simple people see. 
The donkey said to Balaam, am I not your own donkey, which you have always ridden to this day? Have I been in the habit of doing this to you? No, he said. Verse 31, then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with his sword drawn. So he bowed low and fell face down. The angel of the Lord asked him, why have you beaten your donkey these three times? I have come here to oppose you because your path is a reckless one before me. I want to make the most of your time. I mean, you, you could have been anywhere this morning, but you chose to come here. And I believe you came here because, not, not because the music's all, and by the way, the music is freaking awesome. They do an incredible job. And, and, and you don't even come here for me, even, even though I like you and I appreciate you being here. All of us come to this place, yes, to connect with each other, but ultimately because we need to hear something from God. We need something beyond what anybody else in the room can do for us. So, because I want to make the most of your time, I need to ask you a question. And it's another question that I'm going to ask you to ask yourself. He said your path is a reckless one. Is there any area of your life, and I've asked myself, is there any area of my life that God would look at me? Is there any area that God would look at you and say, hey, your path is a reckless one? Man, you, you, you've got some areas of your life, the path you're on, you're, you're doing well. But what about the paths that you prefer we not talk about? I love the way the New Living Translation puts this. Look, I have come to block your way because you are stubbornly resisting me. Is there any area of your life that you're stubbornly resisting God? Is there any area that God would say, hey, the, the, the path you're on, it's, it's going to lead somewhere that you don't want to go. The end result you're not going to enjoy, you're not going to like. And so there continue to be these obstacles. And there are people that love you that try to speak into your life that, that genuinely love Jesus and love you. But you ignore that. And you're just determined you're going to ignore all of that. And you might even say, well, if God himself would tell me, I would pay attention. Well, God himself said that. Sex is something that's supposed to happen between one man and one woman in a marriage for one lifetime. But we live in a culture that says, no, just, just live together. Just, just live together. If that's where you are, you are stubbornly resisting. Well, the Bible says that, let, let me just lean in for a little bit. We're, we're sitting at Starbucks. This is a friendly conversation. Th this is me sharing some things that, that, that God is continuing to teach me because none of us have arrived. All of us have areas of our lives that are broken and messed up. And so you and I, just imagine we're sitting at Starbucks drinking the burnt coffee, and we're having this brief conversation. The Bible says in the book of Malachi that the first 10%, if you're a person of faith, a Christ follower, comes to the local church. The first 10% of our income is supposed to be given to the local church because God has such a high opinion of the church. The church is called the bride of Christ. Now imagine that. I've met people and you've met people that say things like, man, I love God, I just don't like church. Sir, what if somebody said, I love you, but I can't stand your wife? If you say that to me, I'll punch you in the throat. I don't mind starting a prison ministry. It's not a problem. If you don't like my wife, I don't like you. We just have an issue. So how do you think God feels when we diminish the local church, when we beat down the local church? Yes, there are enough things to gripe about. Yes, there are enough things that aren't perfect. But, 
We all know we're not perfect. The unique thing about the church is the ultimate head of the church is a perfect Savior. And he's the one that we come to worship and hear from and learn from. And so scripture's clear. The first 10% of my income as a Christ follower, because it's not a money issue, it's a heart issue. Do I really trust God? Is he really my provider? Is he really my protector? Do I really put him first in every area of my life, including my finances? And so Malachi says the first 10% belongs to the local church. If you do that, God will bless you. If not, you're living cursed. But then I've met people that are Christ followers, that are plugged into churches that say, that say things often we do these spiritual gymnastics to excuse, excuse away what God teaches. Pastors, that, that's Old Testament. I mean, we don't, we don't have to do that. We're living under grace now. That's Old Testament. No, if you'd read all your Bible, you'd know that in Matthew, Jesus confirms what's said in the Old Testament. So there's no way around it, the first 10%. And, and so if you're, if you're call your, now if you're not a Christ follower, you don't have to do this. If you are a Christ follower and you're not doing this, it does not lessen how much God loves you. My two sons, one of them is a Florida Gators fan, and the other one is a Florida State criminal, I mean Seminoles fan. I went to Texas A&M, which I really hoped was going to win yesterday, but they did not. But I don't love my sons any less because they choose the wrong teams. In fact... There's nothing my sons could do that would cause me to love them any less. But what they can do is grieve my heart because I can see the pain that's coming in their lives if they continue to make the choices they make. So our God doesn't love us any less. But Scripture does say, according to this, about 80% of you that are Christ followers and a part of C3 are stubbornly resisting and robbing God financially. Are you okay with that? If you were God, would you bless people that rob you? It's not an issue of love. It's an issue of God says, hey, here's the path. And we pick a different path. We have a way of choosing paths of convenience and pleasure. We have a way of choosing easy. When God says, hey, I want to build some faith into your life and grow it stronger. I want to build some spiritual character into your life. I want to show you that you can trust me. I want to show you that I am faithful. But the only way we experience that is to take a step of faith and trust him. Are there any areas of your life that you are stubbornly resisting God? The donkey saw me and turned away from me these three times. If it had not turned away, I would certainly have killed you by now, but I would have spared it. When I stubbornly resist God, when, I, when I'm determined to go down a path that's not honoring to God, when I'm determined to do it my way instead of God's way, destruction is what's potentially coming. And even animals can have better lives than I'll have. Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned. I did not realize you were standing in the road to oppose me. Those three words, I have sinned. What's interesting about this is in Numbers chapter 30, chapter 31, Moses gives the order to the armies of Israel to kill Balaam. Balaam acknowledges his sin, but he does nothing about it. See, we read those words, I have sinned. Man, good start. That's where it begins, recognizing God's right, I'm not. I've, I've messed up. But do you know who else said, I have sinned in the scriptures? Not only Balaam, but Pharaoh said it. King Saul said it. Judas Iscariot said, I have sinned. You've heard the phrase, knowledge is power. It's not unless you do something with it. It's not enough. You already know it's not enough just to know. 
you already know it's not enough just to know. But sometimes, especially in the life of Christ followers, we can fall into this pattern where we come to church and if we hear something that makes us feel a little bit guilty, somehow we feel like we've had a spiritual experience if we feel bad about ourselves, but we do nothing with it. It's just a moment that we feel bad about ourselves. So what are you going to do with what you know Scripture teaches? It's not enough just to know. What if, can I give you another what if? What if God is not impressed with partial obedience? If I asked my kids when they were younger to clean their room and they only cleaned half their room, do I throw a party? If I ask them to mow the yard and they only mow the left side of the yard and not the right side of the yard, am I happy? Well, at least the left side got done. That's good, that's good. They're learning. Partial obedience, in fact, is disobedience. Proverbs chapter 14, Proverbs has been called the book of wisdom, says, those who follow the right path fear the Lord, those who take the wrong path despise him. Now, in our culture, we've gotten very good at talking about the love of God and the mercy of God and the grace of God, and we should. Man, I'm grateful God is a God of love. I'm grateful God is a God of mercy and grace because I need it. I need it every day. I'm so grateful for that. But somehow we have diminished and ignored fearing God. I'm very close to my dad. I have an amazing dad, and I love him deeply. But you better believe growing up, I feared him. I'm talking about a healthy kind of fear. Not a fear that he's going to harm me. A healthy kind of fear that's rooted in deep respect and awe of who he is. An understanding that he's God and I'm not. An understanding that what he says remains true and I'm not going to be the only exception to ever exist in human history to break the laws that God has put in place. It's it's not going to happen. But we we don't fear God and because we don't fear God, we go down these paths and we don't even see the obstacles in front of us as being put there by God and we beat up people who are trying to help us and we get mad at people who speak the truth into our lives in love and we get determined to just go down that path no matter what and we say things like this. Well, it might be sin, but God will forgive me. It might be wrong, but God will work it all out in the future. It might be sin, but the grace of God is big enough. Have you read Hebrews chapter 10? God is not obligated to be a slave to our understanding of grace. If your spouse said to you, you know I love you, and you love me, and you promised you'd be married to me forever, Tonight I'm going to go sleep with somebody else, and you have to forgive me because you promised you'd stay with me forever. Why do we so minimize our sin and maximize the things we expect God to do for us? God does not exist to perform for you or me. God is God. We need to stop making God in our image and realize we're made in his image, and he alone is God. He gets to decide what's wise and what's unwise, what's right and what's wrong. And here's the amazing thing. The amazing thing about God, he's not a big, angry guy. Some of you grew up in a kind of religious system where you, you, you see God as this angry God ready to pounce on you and get you and prove to you how bad you are. That's not who God is. The reason God hates sin so much in our lives is because he knows the destruction it's going to bring to our lives. And every time I sin, I hurt not only me, but I hurt the people I love the most. It's because God sees what's down the path. 
He knows what's there. So Deuteronomy 5 says, walk in obedience on a path. Walk in obedience to all the Lord your God has commanded you. Listen, so that. Why? So that you may live. There are people existing but not living. So that you may live and prosper and prolong your days in the land you will possess. God is for you, but he will not alter his purpose or his perfection to bend to your will that is so fickle it changes on a regular basis. God says, if you do it my way, you'll be blessed. If you do it your way, you'll be cursed. Man, I wish God would speak to me like he did to Balaam. He does. He makes it crystal clear. We, we just don't always like it. Proverbs 14, book of wisdom says there's a path before each person that seems right, but it ends in death. It seems right. It feels right. It is a dangerous place to be to base our actions on our feelings. I can't trust what feels right because what feels right can lead to death. And sometimes obeying God does not feel right. God says we're supposed to forgive people. There are people I've met I'd rather kill than forgive. Have you ever been betrayed? Sometimes obeying God doesn't feel right. But right and what's best and what puts me on a path that God can bless is not determined by how I feel about it. Feelings catch up with actions, and I'm so grateful at times in my life I didn't act on how I felt. Because the times in my life, there are times I did act on how I felt that I deeply regret. So in this series, What If, we've looked at some different characters, and I've asked some questions. And these questions are intentional. They're meant to build your life and to build my life and and to help us be on a path that God will bless because we're living in a way that honors him. So we looked in the beginning of the series at King David, and we asked the what if question, what if you could live a life bigger than your doubts? We looked at Ruth and asked, what if there's always hope because there's always God? Esther taught us, what if obedience is the key to experiencing the life you were created to live? Through Shamgar, we learned, what if you're able to matter more than you ever thought you would? What if you're able to matter more than you ever thought you would? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, what if what's missing is faith? What about Balaam? What's the what if for Balaam? What if we can see what God sees? What if we could see what God sees? The path that you're on or the paths in your life that you're on, what does God see that you're ignoring? What does God see that people around you looking at your life, it's like watching a wreck in slow motion. What what can other people that love you see that you're ignoring? What path are you on right now that the you of five years from now will deeply regret and not like the you of today very much? What if we can see what God sees? How is that even possible? It's possible when I trust him and I have the ability and I bring great clarity to my life and my spirit when I obey what God teaches, when I'm sensitive to the spirit of God, when I try to do what honors God, and when I follow him day by day. What if we saw other people as God sees them? What if, and church, if you're a part of C3, man, let's remember, let's please remember, as we go into an election season, yes, there are important things to discuss. There are important issues to consider. But this book says that without love, it's all meaningless. Let's make a bigger deal of Jesus than elephants and donkeys. 
Let's try to help people know Jesus more than aligning with our philosophy of a political party. And politics are important. It's important, man. We live in a free nation where the freedom of thought is to be expressed. And I think one of the areas that we need to grow is in listening to people that we disagree with. Because you earn credibility when you actually care about the person rather than promoting your own agenda. But at the end of the day, the only thing that's going to matter 100 years from now is where you are and where I am and where the people we love the most are. And it won't be because of how we voted. Man, let's show compassion and love. Let's show a community how to function in an intensely, often divided and difficult political atmosphere. Let's show that love is bigger than anything else. What if we could see what God sees? That person that drives you nuts at the office, the person that is always on your nerves, the person that's always mean and angry. I wonder if God sees something that happened in their life that caused deep pain. What if we could see that hurting people hurt people and that it's rooted in something where they were hurt? And and what if they don't trust and what if they're skeptical and what if they're critical because of some experiences life has taught them? Can we be big enough people to lean into Jesus and ask us to help him? I understand sometimes you're going to want to take him out. But, but in those moments, can we lean into our faith and say, okay, Jesus, I need you to help me. Because what God sees is that every single person you and I lock eyes with is deeply loved by him. What if we could see what God sees? How would it change your marriage if you saw your spouse the way God does? How would it change our friendships if we saw our friends the way God does? How would it change how we parent if we could see the future that God sees? And, and what can you and I do? that would cause the you or the me of five years from now to give us a standing ovation for the decision we make today. Don't let this just be a moment where you think, I've sinned. Let this moment create a momentum in your life of saying, God, I want to be on the path you want me to be on. I want to live my life in a way that honors you and brings glory to you. God, ultimately, you're God. I just want to follow you. Show me the path. Give me wisdom. Help me to have discernment. Help me to know what you want me to do. I believe those are prayers God answers every single time. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, thank you so much for every single person in this room. God, I pray in this moment with heads bowed and eyes closed for those who this morning may not have a personal relationship with you. With heads bowed and eyes closed, maybe you're here today. And you look at the path of your life. And what's not on your path is God. You don't have a personal, intimate, daily relationship with the living God. And you can change that right now. If you know that the step that you need to take, the path that you need to step onto, is to surrender your life to Christ and become a Christ follower. It's not about being religious. It's not about keeping a list of rules. It has nothing to do with that. It is about a personal relationship with a living God, experiencing the forgiveness of God, knowing that the Spirit of God is living in my life to help me day by day on this journey, on this path. If you know that's a need in your life, you've never committed your life to Christ, I want to ask you to pray a very simple prayer this morning. Man, don't don't let this moment pass. It's not enough just to know We've got to do something with what we know.
And deep in your heart and life this morning, you know, perhaps you know, man, I, I need to surrender my life to Christ. If that's you, I want to encourage you to pray a very simple prayer. You can pray it out loud or you can pray it in the quietness of your heart. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 6 that Jesus knows even our thoughts. So if that's where you are, you just pray this prayer. Dear God, I know that I need you. Jesus, please come into my life. Please forgive me. And help me live for you. God, as best I know how, I surrender my life to you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.